0: John chapter 3 so of all the text in the entire Bible the one that we're going to look at today is possibly the most famous verse of the entire Bible it's also a verse that really presents in a simple concise way but also um, in a very deep way uh, the gospel truth of what Christ has done for us I've traveled all over the world and there's not been a place that I've ever gone where I've not heard this verse quoted in another language, and asked about it, and and uh, it's a powerful, powerful text, John three sixteen. So it's not just the American's favorite verse. I believe it's a worldwide thing, and probably it's probably been the most memorized verse of the last two thousand years, and one that is consistently quoted. I do have an issue with it. Not not really an issue with it, but here's here here's the here's the issue. Um. We love John three sixteen, and the problem is, is we usually stop at John three sixteen. But you have to put sixteen with seventeen and eighteen, so you can't. So all three of those sentences, all three of those verses, have to put be put together. And it's such a significant verse sixteen that there's been too often a stopping there, and so we are not going to do that today. We're going to plow right on through uh, and see all three of those together. Now, Dan Block back there is a geologist, um, uh, and all over the world, in every continent, there's something called a continental divide. So I did a little research on that today, and, and I, um, depending on who you ask, America has three or five continental divides. And I don't get that. I'm like, can somebody just decide? Do we have three? Do we have one? Do we have five? And so, so it depends on. Every, every continent has one. It doesn't matter. Uh, some of them. Uh, depending upon um, the bodies of water that are surrounding them, they may have multiple continental divides um, that are there. But there's one in Colorado called the Loveland Pass. And if you were to build a house on the top of the Loveland Pass and and it had a roof that went like this, when the rain came down, um, depending on where a drop of water landed on that and where it flowed down, it depended upon whether that water on one side of the house and roof would flow to the Atlantic Ocean and whether one would flow to the Pacific Ocean. It's a, it's a dividing point in just a matter of inches determining where something goes in a significant way. And I believe that John three sixteen through 18 is the scriptural continental divide in regard to where people's destiny ends up because it gives two clear paths. And, and, and we will see that pretty clear today in, in regard um, to this. And so we're going to look at this important text um, today. I don't know what your life is like in regard to cell phone life. Um, sometimes I wonder, um, what have we done to ourselves? And then sometimes I'm like, okay, this is really good. I need to get a hold of somebody. I need to get a hold of this. And, um, and, but I, I, my phone never stops ringing and I figured out something and you probably have this as well I don't know how these people get my phone number and I know this now that it rings and I don't recognize it but it says McKinney Texas and I'm thinking there's somebody in McKinney who loves me or somebody is interested in the church it's it's not one of the church members it's got like a lot of you a lot of you your name's in my phone and so your caller ID pops up and I answer it and every time there's a two to three second pause, you know that it's not a real person on the other end of the line. It's going to be a, a computerized voice. And, and Visa seems to love me. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure why, but they always, their reward center calls me three to four times a week wanting to reward me with something. I get phone calls about health care enrollment. I get phone calls about um, uh other media things and all of that kind of stuff and we live in a day and time where there is an incessant nonstop speaking into our lives about what we need to buy what we need to do what we need to believe in etc etc it is constant in our lives and we're about to see that there's a text that communicates that God as well is speaking and he has the same message that he's been speaking since Genesis 3, and that is that he loves the world and he has a plan for the world, and he's the God who pursues the world to call the world into relationship with him out of our brokenness. And so he is the one who brought the message of salvation down, as we talked about last week, to this place from heaven. Here. All other religions, all other philosophies, all other whatever you want to call them, they all originated here on earth. They are of earth. It is only Christianity whose founder brought the message of salvation and brought salvation. From heaven, 14 and 15, tells us this in John 3, or three thirteen through 15, that He's the one who descended from heaven, and He brought this to us. And when He descended from heaven, He came here, that He would be lifted up off of the earth, that He would die for our sins and open the way for us to come into a relationship with Him. So let's look at the text today, Um, John 3, 16 through 18. Here we go. in the name of the only Son of God. Alright, let's begin to walk through this. And the first thing I want to establish this morning that I think is important for us, and it's this. That the Father loves the world. That's the first part of 16. For God so loved the world. We know this from 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. Uh, this same John that wrote the Gospel, John, wrote this. Anyone who does not love, does not know love or does not know God, because God is love. So this affirmation and this reality of the character and nature of God, that God is a God of love. Notice what the text doesn't say. That God came to manipulate the world. It doesn't say that He came to break the world in His anger. It doesn't say that He came to punish the world because He was so disappointed with all of our weaknesses and all of the choices that we made. It doesn't say that God came to remind us of all of our failures so that we would feel bad about ourselves and to blame us for messing up the world. It says this, that God so loved the world. So Jesus didn't come here to crush us by His power, And to punish the world. But in His coming, He came to bring His power to free us from what was crushing us. And that was the weight of the separation that we had because of sin. So He came to bring life and meaning to a world that was broken. And so God's love in the most clearest way was defined or is defined for us at the cross of Calvary. And notice that it says, for God so loved the world not government loved the world not a social program loved the world not this but God God loves the world and God so loved the world and God's love is so unlike our love where our love at times is tainted with selfishness and tainted with using people for our own means to to please us but God's love is different He gave His love when we couldn't give anything back to Him. There's not anything that we do to give back to God that enhances the nature and the character of God. He is all sufficient in and of Himself. And yet this God who who made us and all we can offer Him before we come to know Him is a rebellious heart. He loved the world even in its state of Rebellion listen to what jeremiah wrote jeremiah thirty one three The Lord appeared to turn the Lord appeared to him from far away, and he said this, "I have loved you with an everlasting love, therefore I have continued my faithfulness to you. John, as well in his first epistle first John four nineteen says, "We love because he what first loved us." And so we wouldn't even know about love if God hadn't loved us first. We wouldn't know how to love our spouse or to love our kids or to love a friend. We wouldn't know any of that if God had not come and revealed His love to us. And I want you to notice the word there, for God so. Don't read verses of the Bible and skip over some of those words. Some of those words are really, really important. For God so loved the world. In the Greek, this word sowed, so means in this manner, this is how God loved the world. And he's about to reveal to us how God loved the world. It is a love that is uncommon and it is different than anything that we know. Nicodemus has come to Christ wanting to know about how he can come to salvation he's a pharisee he's full of hypocrisy he thinks that following the commandments are the way and yet there's a restlessness in his heart that he doesn't he's not he's not secure in his salvation so he's come to jesus to have this conversation so jesus says listen you got to be born again this blows his mind Then Jesus says, hey, the wind just blows wherever it wants. The Spirit blows wherever it wants and calls people and transforms people and brings this this relationship with God, and you can't control it. The Spirit just does this great work, and, and He's... Wrestling with this, and then Jesus says, "Okay, listen. Um, let me tell you an Old Testament story to remind you. Of Old Testament story: uh, Moses. They're in the wilderness, and um, they're complaining against God. And these serpents come, and they bite them. And so Moses is he he lifts up this bronze serpent, and everybody looks at it. They are rescued. They are saved from the bite of the venom. So the Son of Man, the Son of God, He's going to be lifted up as well. And into all who look to Him, and whoever believes in Him, they will they will be saved. And so watch this. It's very personal." nicodemus and now we get to 316 and jesus just expands it to the whole world whoever believes whoever comes to faith not just you nicodemus not just you the jews for god so loved the world and god is acting powerfully on our behalf in christ to rescue us i want to make four statements under point one and we will to have any other four statements under the other points or we would be here all day um, but let me just point out Uh, Four really important things under this point: For God so loved the world. What do we What do we take from that? Here's the first thing: Salvation that is offered through Christ is initiated and driven by God. Christ didn't come here because he was lonely, and they wanted a world full of sinners who, by their nature, hated him. Um, that he was desperate and, and just didn't know what to do, and he needed human response, and so he came here. That's not why Jesus came. Uh, Jesus didn't come uh, because he convinced the angry Old Testament God um, that he was too angry, and so he wanted to come down here and kind of show people, you know, God's really not angry all the time, and like you, like you may think in regard to the Old Testament, and, and so that's not why Jesus came and offered salvation. Another reason why Jesus didn't come, um, because the Father somehow made a mistake, and so Jesus came to correct the Father's mistake of making a world full of people who were going to rebel and sin against Him. It had nothing to do with that. God made this world. He made this world knowing what we would be like, and He made this world. That's a mark of love, knowing that we would turn, and we would offer Him nothing. We wouldn't follow, and we would quickly do this early on in the creation story. This is what we would do. And he did this out of this motivation that God has as his nature, not only is he holy and almighty and all of this, but God is loving. And so he created the world for his glory, but he created you and I and created this so that you and I would be in a love relationship with him. He would pour his love on us. We would know the reality of that love. And so salvation is initiated and driven by God because of his love. Now, we learn this about God early on. People look at the Old Testament and think, God, God, God is angry all the time. Genesis chapter 3 just immediately communicates to us the love of God. So God's created these two people. He's put them in the garden. Satan comes along. He tricks Eve. She she buys the lie. You can't really trust God. He's not really loving because if God was really loving, he wouldn't restrict you from eating the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. So, so he's not really good. I, I, I've come to give you a message that there is something more you're missing. So in a sense, Satan was saying to her, I'm being loving to you by allowing you to see that there is something else that's actually better for you, that God is not being loving for you because he's restricting you. And so Eve eats the fruit. She gives some to Adam. And here's what our first parents did. As soon as their nature fell, they ran and they hid. And they hid, and the next verse tells us they ran, or the verse tells us that they ran because they heard God coming in the cool of the day, walking. The idea is probably God consistently did this. Now let me just stop for a moment. God's going to make a statement, and He's going to say, where are you? Why is He saying, where are you? Here's why I think He's saying, where are you, two things. Two things. I think that when they used to hear him come to the garden, what do you think they did? They ran. They ran. And now he's in the garden walking and (laughs) where are those people I created who love my presence? Where are they? And so God says, where are you? He hasn't lost them on his iPhone GPS thing. He had not lost them. It's not a statement of I can't find you. It's a statement to them to say, Do you know where you are? You're hiding from me. You used to run to me. Now something's different. But watch this. Early on, here's what we learn about God. That in our fallen state, God knew when He came, that day, in the cool of the day, they're fallen, they hear His voice, they run and hide. He came anyway. He didn't stay away. He came anyway. And so as He calls out to them in their brokenness, in their confusion, in their now fear of Him. He came calling them out to come to Himself. And we have been hiding forever and ever. And we hide in all kinds of ways. I think atheism is a hiding. I think anger at God is a hiding. I think drugs and drunkenness are a hiding uh, to numb the, the, the brokenness and the hurt in our lives. I think we're consumed with trying to look young and be young when all the while we are actually dying and aging. False gods and false idols have confused our broken minds and we hide from God. But listen to me, church. For God so loved the world, He proved it in Genesis chapter 3. One draws near. Because they love, not because they hate. In love, He drew near. To be in relationship. He didn't hate the world. He loves the world. We stepped away in silence and tried to hide, and yet He came. Initiated relationship, called out to Adam and Eve, and in Christ He came 2,000 years ago, to call out in the most clear way, God loves the world. That means He loves you. And God is always going to be consistent with His nature. And His nature is that He is loving. So salvation is initiated and driven by God. Secondly, under this point, is that God initiated salvation for His glory. He gets the greatest glory when those who are lost become found and those who are dead become Alive and he gets this great glory. Listen to what Isaiah writes, Isaiah 49 9. For my name's sake I defer my anger. I could just pour out my anger, but I defer my anger, and for the sake of my praise I restrain it for you. Listen to this loving thing, that I may not cut you off. Do they deserve to be cut off? Absolutely. But he he restrained out of love and for the the greatness of his glory and not wiped out Israel because he loved them and because of the greatness of his glory. So salvation is initiated and driven by God. It's, It's salvation comes to us because of God's great glory. And thirdly, God's love is so wide it covers the whole world. So let's define this word world. Let's define it this way, he's describing humanity for God so loved humanity that he gave his one and only son. You see, I believe the Bible teaches and I think it's pretty clear in John 3:16 and other places that God yearns for the salvation of the world and he wants people to come to know him and this offer has come because of his unbelievable great love. Now listen, The Jews thought God loved us. He didn't love the Gentiles. God loved us. We are the people that God loves. And and Nicodemus probably as a Pharisee had this idea. And now all of a sudden he's gone from Nicodemus and he just wide stretch it and said this listen God loves not just the Jews God loves the world he loves every people group he loves every language he loves every tribe he loves every person he loves the Buddhist he loves the Muslim he loves the Hindu he loves the American he loves the Russian God loves every person he loves the one who love the vileness he loves them He came and he offers this relationship. So he loves the broken. He loves the confused. He loves the irreligious. He loves the unreached people groups. He loves the Catholic. He loves the Baptist. He's calling everyone to a relationship with him. It wasn't just to the elite. It wasn't just to the rich by man's standards. But he loved the unlovables and the outcasts like lepers. The ones that were traitors to their nation like Matthew, the tax collector, he offered life to a young man who came one day, the rich young ruler. He offered life to someone on a cross who earlier in the day hurled insults at Jesus, but later in the day said, hey, will you remember me when I come into the kingdom? Yeah, I will. Today you will be with me in paradise. God loved someone by the name of Saul who opposed the gospel, and yet God intervened in his life. And changed his life. He came to know Christ, and we call him the apostle Paul, the greatest missionary ever. God loves the whole world. Listen to this verse, first Timothy two, four, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Second Peter three, nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. When the Lord established his plan of salvation, he determined a desire that the world would know him, but not everyone will. People do not want to come to know, and we will talk about that more here in a moment, but he came to open wide the doors of grace. And it's not dependent upon our works. It's not dependent upon our merit. It's not dependent upon any kind of worth that we may have. Lastly, under point one, is this. Is God's love for the world does not mean that He affirmed the ways of the world. You got kids? They're always perfectly obedient, right? You tell them, don't do that. They do it. You say, don't do that. Again, there's going to be consequences, and they do it again, and there's consequences. So, so I want you to notice this, because this is prevalent in our American church culture today, is that people state the statement, God loves us so much, He's not, He's not really bothered by the things that we do anymore. God's just a God of love, so He's not really bothered by our sin and our actions. And so listen to this. God so loved the world, and it's an unbelievable love, but this does not mean that He affirmed who we are in our sin nature in regards to the choices that we make. He didn't affirm any of that kind of stuff. So His love for us is not an affirmation of the choices and the decisions that we make. His love, his love is in spite of those things. That's why it's so grand today. It's not grounded in that we got to get perfect and then we get God's love. No, He's given His love, though we are not perfect. And so His love doesn't mean that He approves of our condition or our choices. He didn't have this idea, well, eventually it's all going to work itself out and it's humanity is going to get to a good place. And then Christ would not have to come because it just would work its way out and that's not how it would ever happen we couldn't work it out have you looked at our world lately how well are we working things out it's just a mess so Christ had to come because the world is a wreck and it lies under the certain wrath of God and all who cho- choose to reject Jesus remain in a hopeless condition but to all who receive and to all who believe come into a relationship with him So watch this. God's love is behind our salvation. His motive of our salvation and for our salvation is his love for the world. All right, let's look at the next point. We're going to be in verse 16 for a long time, so bear with me here, okay? Here's the next thing. It's going to go faster now, though. So, for God so loved the world, how do we know that he loved the world? Is there any kind of evidence? I know this. That I have someone named Pamela. She's my wife. She loves me better than y'all love me. She accepts me better than y'all accept me because she has to live with me and she has to put up with me. Y'all just occasionally have to deal with me. And she loves me and I know that she loves me in the manner that she loves me that she's quick to forgive. She gives of herself She sacrifices. um, Just incredible. And And you know this as well if you are in a married relationship. So watch this. How do you know? How in the world do we know? For God so loved the world. Here's how we know. Because the Father gave His Son. That's how we know. We know in the act of Him giving of Himself and how He gave we know now that we can trust in the love of God. Listen to this verse, Romans 5, 6-8. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died not for the righteous, Christ died, it says, for the ungodly, ungodly, that's who we were. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, One would dare even to die, but God shows his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is all that we could offer. I'm ungodly. I'm a sinner. I am separated. But God demonstrated and revealed This is my love for you. I'm showing my love for you. I'm giving the proof and evidence that I love you. That I sent my son and he died for you. Christ died for us. So we know the certainty of the love of God, how he gave to the world. He gave himself. And who did he give? Who is this one that he gave? Jesus is co-equal with the Father. He is co-eternal with the Father. He is just as much God as the Father is. That's who He gave. He gave His Son, who is God. He gave the uniqueness of His Son, the one and only begotten Son. That That word begotten, if that's your translation, means one of a kind. No one like Him. Never, ever will there be one. This is who He gave to give the evidence that we are loved. Listen to this verse. Galatians 1, three, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Romans 8:32 He who did not spare his only son he didn't he didn't well, I, don't, I want to find another way. He did not spare his only son but he gave him up for us all. How will he not with him graciously give us all things. Luke twenty two nineteen in the upper room he's instituting the Lord's Supper and he took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to them saying this is my body. Anybody remember what it says next? Given, given, given. I am my body is going to take your sin and it's going to be broken and it's been broken and I am giving the brokenness of my body bearing your sin. I'm giving this to you. So this is how we know that God so loved the world is that the Father gave His Son. And the death of Jesus Christ for sinners is the greatest, most visible, and absolute final word concerning God's love for humanity. It's final. It's certain. It is true. It is one of a kind. Well, it doesn't end there. So for God so loved the world, how do we know that He loved the world? Well, He gave His only son well guess what the son did the son gave his life that's another way that we know that God loves us and there's a value and a worth to our life that 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 Christ came and he died he is the center of everything he is the point of Moses Writings. He is the point of the Psalms. He is the one who bore our sin. He is the living word of God. He's the fulfillment of every Old Testament prophecy. He is the creator. He is our maker. He is the one who loved to the very end and gave his life for us. The Son gave his life. Further evidence that God loves you and I. Listen to Jesus' words. John ten seventeen. And 18 for this reason the father jesus says loves me because i lay my life down that i may take it up again and no one he says takes it from me but i lay my life down of my own accord and i have the authority to lay it down and i have the authority to take it up again and this charge i received from my father his life is a life worthy to believe in and one we must do so. And the width and the inclusiveness of the offer is amazing. Hebrews 2.9 But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. 2 Corinthians 5.15 And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation uh, for our sins. He's the wrath bearer, the wrath that was poured out. He is the wrath bearer for our sins. And not only for ours, John writes, but also for the sins of the whole world. The depth of the love of God is seen in that he was willing to give his only son and the depth of the love of God is that the son was willing to lay his life down for you and I. So what's our response to this? Here's the last part of verse 16. The sinner is to therefore then believe unto eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, the son as well gave his life and laid it down that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. This word, whoever here in the Greek, infers and, and communicates those who do believe, um, all who would believe, everyone who believes will not perish, and they place a trust and they receive the work of Christ and what He did on the cross. Now, this is more than just intellectual Uh, affirming ideas about things about Jesus. It's more than kind of a mental thing. It is placing, I am placing my life in, in this reality. Government can't fix me. My spouse can't fix me. My job can't fix me. My bank account can't fix me. My good works can't fix me. Only He can fix me. I believe and trust in Jesus Christ as the only one who can give me eternal life and rescue me from my sin, And he says these words, Jesus speaking here, that whoever believes in him should not perish. This word perish. Now I want you to listen to the gravity of these words and let them sink in to our heart. This is what the word perish means in the Greek. To be given over to the eternal misery of the separation from God. That's what it means. So let me just say it again so we hear it. Perish means to be given over to the eternal misery of separation from God in a place called hell. But notice the good news of the gospel. It doesn't have to be that way. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him, to those who would believe in Him, they would not have this hanging over their lives that they are going to live in eternal misery separated from God in hell. This word also means eternal ruin. That is not true for those who have a relationship with Christ. And so for those who receive Christ, this phrase literally means what it says, we shall never perish. Never will there come eternal ruin of separation from the presence of God. And I don't know anybody in this world who make a, can make a promise like that and keep that promise. Only Christ can. And so those who are redeemed are eternally secure in this relationship. And I believe many come today seeking, come to churches, and they, they're coming seeking um, a right feeling, or they're coming trying to find some right type of something and i'm here today to say this that he so loved the world that he invites you and i to a relationship and we believe and we receive and when that happens we are given the hope of eternal life that is a promise that is secure because god's promises are always true and we will never have to worry about the eternal ruin of our soul because jesus rescues and saves so for God so loved the world, He gave proof, His only Son. So whoever believes in Him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. Look at verse 17. Finally got there. So important to take a look at this. Boy, our culture gets this wrong. Really, Western, the Western world gets this wrong. Listen to what it says there. Look at it. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. It's not why Jesus came to pronounce this big condemnation. He did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. So listen to this. Jesus did not come here 2,000 years ago in anger to blast the world. He came 2,000 years ago to show the world that God loves the world and that through Him, the world wouldn't have to remain in condemnation for those who trusted in Christ and believed and received Him. They could be saved through him. Now, the reality is not everybody is going to receive, not everybody's going to believe. There is a rejection and there's a consequence that is connected with it. But listen to what Jesus says here I did not come to condemn the world, I came to love the world and to give my life and to invite the world to believe and receive. And the world has, for thousands of years now, said, Whatever. I'm not moved by that. I will hide in my this and I will hide in my that because I don't want to have anything to do with you. He didn't come to the world to crush it. He came to cure what was wrong inside of us and that was to rescue us from our sin. And this blows. This verse blows this lie away that God's just angry all the time. He's just up there in heaven and he's just like looking down here and he can't wait for us to blow it so he can lightning bolt us or car wreck us or rob our hurt our bank account or whatever whatever you want to say. That is not what the text says. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But he sent his son in the world that that through him the world people would believe in him and they would be saved. Hear this, please. He came to save us out of our sinful condition, not to keep us in it. He came to open the way to salvation, not keep the door closed. He came not to condemn. He came to save. And this was the plan. This was the the cross. Jesus dying on the cross was not some happenstance. It was not some... Um, God had to kind of fix a, the, the, he had a wrong plan and we messed it up. And so Jesus had to come and fix that. Listen, this was not some terrible mistake, the cross or accidental death. It was not a situation that had gone horribly wrong and simply had gotten out of hand. This was the plan and will of God from the foundation of the world and the foreknowledge of God that Christ would come. Peter writes that in 1 Peter and Peter on the day of Pentecost, stood up before all of those that were, he could hear his voice, and he said these words, This Jesus, crucified, who's crucified, delivered up to the, according to the divine... Excuse me, Let me, I just messed that up. Here we go. This is Acts 2, 23. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan, definite plan, definite plan, definite plan not accident, definite plan and for knowledge of God you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men and God raised him up loosing the pangs of death listen to this because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Death could not hold life. Jesus' life could not be held in just for brief hours in the history of the world. He was in a tomb and it is empty. He is gone. He is risen. He has ascended. He is interceding and He is coming again. Now when He comes a second time he's going to bring what condemnation he's going to bring condemnation and he's going to bring great wrath when he comes the second time but his first time came not to bring condemnation but to offer salvation that the world would turn and trust in jesus so the son came not to condemn but to save now listen church do you hear that today? Do you hear that? So when you meet somebody out there, God just angry all the time. God's just mean and he's mad and why does, he, why does he allow all this evil and stuff? Evil is here not because God wanted that to be a part of the world. We chose to rebel against him and that brought about the chaos and the brokenness that fills our world today. And in the midst of that, he came to rescue you and I to a relationship with him. Listen to this verse. It's a beautiful verse. In Jeremiah, I don't know if you've read Jeremiah before. It's not the most encouraging, uplifting book. Jeremiah is pretty sober reading and the, the words that God has to say to the nation. But this is beautiful. Jeremiah 30 verse 12. For thus says the Lord, your hurt, speaking to Israel, your hurt is incurable. And your wound grievous. There is none to uphold your cause. You have nobody upholding your cause anymore. There's no medicine for your wound. There is no healing for you. All of your lovers, you've loved all of these other gods and these other things, Israel. All of your lovers have forgotten you. They care nothing for you. For I have dealt you a blow of an enemy, the punishment of a merciless foe, because your guilt is great and because your sins are flagrant. Why do you cry out over your hurt? Your pain is incurable because your guilt is great, because your sins are flagrant. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you will be devoured, and all your foes, every one of them, shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall be plundered. And all who pray on you, I will make a pray, but listen to what he says. You've got a wound that's grievous, it's incurable, your lovers, they're not so happy with you, they don't love you anymore, and listen to what God says. For I will restore your health. All you've done is be grievous to me, and it's, and it's come to a grievous thing in your life, but I will restore your health to you, and your wounds I will heal, declare, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast. And it is Zion for whom no one cares. And watch this. That was us. An enemy of God. Someone who rejected God. And God did something about it. He stepped into the world. He loved the world. He proved he loved the world by giving his son. His son embraced the plan to lay his life down. Nobody forced him. He laid his life down because He loved the world, and so therefore now who all, whoever believes in Him will not perish, don't have to have live under this this idea and this, this reality of, not an idea, a reality of living in eternal ruin and misery separated from God. That's not the case because the Son came not to condemn, but He came to rescue and to save. And the sixth thing I want us to see this morning is this, is therefore salvation rests on those who receive the son look at the first part of 18 first part of 18 says whoever believes in him is not condemned why is someone no longer condemned we are no longer condemned because of this reality our sin has been pardoned and we are delivered from the condemnation that was deservedly ours and we are transferred into the glorious life of Jesus Christ. This word condemned in the Greek means this, to be separated, to be put asunder and to be judged according to one's deeds. All that we deserved was eternal ruin and separation but the grace of God stepped in because He loved the world and He came and Jesus died. So, We cannot, nor do we ever want to stand before the Lord all by ourselves with no covering of the blood of Jesus because there is no hope then when that's the case at the judgment. For our righteousness will only keep us under condemnation. But I have some good news if you know Jesus today. Romans 8 says this. There is now therefore no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Lastly this morning. Is condemnation. Rests on those. Who reject the son. Of God. So. Salvation rests on those who receive the Son and who believe. Condemnation rests on those who reject the Son. And I want you to notice this. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. How are we already condemned? Now, over in that kid's building over there, there are three-year-olds. And you think they're so sweet and loving and beautiful and they kind of look like you but they're evil they are evil and you know when their evilness started it wasn't the terrible twos their evilness started the moment they came out of their mother's womb because we are born in sin like our original parents separated from god so everybody regardless of age stands under the condemnation already already they are seen by jesus As condemned already. But we move out of the condemnation when we receive and believe Jesus. But there are those who hear the message today that I've proclaimed, hopefully very clearly to us, that if you want to move out of condemnation and you want to move into salvation, that salvation rests on those who believe and trust in Christ. You can move away from that. There are those who choose, I'll just stay under condemnation. I'm okay with that. I'm good with the prospect of eternal ruin in the future because, you know, as a matter of fact, I'm actually smarter than God. I'm smarter than the culture. I'm smarter than thousands of years of church history, and I'll just take my chances And because I don't believe in that condemnation stuff. And so they choose to stay under condemnation. And this idea of we do more good than we do bad is enough should just be thrown aside because um, it just condemnation has nothing to do with whether we do enough. If we could do enough, then what was the purpose of the cross? We couldn't do enough. It's not possible. A nation couldn't do enough. A family could not do enough. And so it's not about any of that. And the Bible just plainly states that a sinner is already condemned in the mind of God. And it just means this. His mind is already made up about the eternal state of those who refuse to come to him. They're they're condemned. And they will continue to be that way. And they're condemned by the truth of God's word. Condemned by our sin nature. Condemned by rejecting Christ, uh, the solution for our sin, and God judges and condemns only according to the truth. And here's the truthful reality the lost sinner has no one to blame for the state they are in but themselves. And so the day is going to come when there will be no more time, there will be no more opportunities for one to come to Jesus. So while there is still hope, And while the Spirit of God still is calling you to Him, I would say to you, come to Him. Because for those who reject Jesus, there's coming a day when they will run out of time, and it will not be the church's fault that time ran out for you. It will not be your spouse's fault. It will not be your friend's fault. It will not be the Bible's fault. It will not be the preacher's fault. And it will not be God's fault. He has loved the world by giving His only Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish, will not have to remain in eternal misery separated from Him, but will have eternal life. And so salvation rests on those who believe, but condemnation remains on those who reject. There is salvation found in no one else. Acts 4.12 says for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we may must be saved. It's Jesus alone. So let's close with this. I, I hadn't said this in a long time, so I'll say it again. I love our band. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, man. Love the band. But when this life is over and we go to heaven, Mark Donahoe is not going to be in front of us trying to motivate us to worship. The lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world will be before us. And I, I, I think God is so big. I think he's way bigger than even the revelation that we've gotten right now. I think he's so think he's so big we can't even handle what we know i think he's just big and i think i think it's going to take forever and ever 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 to realize how grand god is how awesome the love of god is and the depth it took to rescue you and i in our state of sin and you and i will be there Because the motive of God and His motivation was He loved the world and He loved you. And this love gives, it doesn't make us more important to God, but it gives worth to our lives. That His love has been poured out to you and I. And so, therefore, we who know this great love and have responded to this great love, we we have received the gift, that's what you do with gifts, you don't go steal them and take them and earn them. They, gifts are given. So what do you do with a gift? You receive it. So we receive His gift of His Son by believing. And we don't have to stack up stuff. We just receive it. And the love of God that has come to us is amazing. It's beyond our comprehension. And it frees us to know the great glory of, That we have the hope and the promise that when this life is over, we don't have to remain in eternal misery, but there's a hope of living in eternal life, eternal life in the presence of the Son of God. And our culture sometimes gets caught up in making the love of God where it makes and I think you'll understand what I'm saying here, where it makes us almost more important in this transaction than him. Can't be that way. He's always the most important one. But I tell you, the love of God, it's okay to say, I am loved by God. He loves us. He loves us. It's okay to celebrate that and enjoy that reality because there would be no hope without his love. Because we we're dead sinners. Then He loved us and He came. And so we're going to sing about that and I hope that I hope it resonates in you today. You are loved by God. How do you know that? Well, he sent His only Son. And the Son that He sent laid His life down. And He was lifted up so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. The Son was sent not to condemn the world but that... Through Him the world would be saved. And so then salvation rests on those who receive. But condemnation rests on those who reject. And if you're here today, don't reject. He is extending an offer to you today. Believe, believe, believe. Come out of the bushes of hiding. Whatever it is you're hiding in. Anger at God. Whatever it is. Come out and come to Him a God who loves and he will fix your heart and fix your life because of his awesome love for us. Let's pray.